What's going on, folks? Welcome in here. Another edition of Next Up to the Mic. Max Kelton joined alongside here by a buddy of mine, one of the best in the business, Sam Brief. Boy, it is awesome to be back with you, Sam. This time we are zooming from across the country because I am back in California, Sam, back in Chicago, uh, and we are making the move from minor league baseball to college athletics. So it's going to be a fun show for you today. A terrific, terrific guest. One of the five females in minor league baseball. She is brilliant and so much fun, so passionate when it comes to the broadcasting stuff, when it comes to the headset. Sam, what a great episode. Yeah, this was a really fun one with Emma Tiedemann, the voice of the Portland Sea Dogs, AA affiliate of the Red Sox. She's like you could call her a rising star, but she's one of those people who already feels like a star and will become just she feels a, like a star already. Right, right. Like it was cool to meet her on the Zoom. I was like, oh, hi. Uh, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, she'll become, I guess, a supernova when she inevitably gets hired by a major league team. Uh, she's really good at what she does. And it's interesting because there are headlines about her in major publications that just are like, oh, look, a female broadcaster, like they hired a female. But yeah, you, you have to address that because at this point we are in a place where that's rare, but it's also like, she's really good at what she does. She's focused. She's locked in. She's like on top of her craft. She takes it seriously. Um, she's been to some great places from Alaska to St. Paul to Lexington and now is in Portland. So I'm really excited for all of you listening to hear from Emma Tiedemann because I was excited listening to Emma Tiedemann. Uh, so uh, without further ado, should we just kick it over to Emma? All right, here we go. Max is nodding. So I'm going to say that next up to the mic, here is Emma Tiedemann. Bring the bell, baby! Ding dong, the witch is dead. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop that man. Oh, my heavens. Greg Lewis, welcome to Minnesota. There's nothing real in the world anymore. The Raiders won the football game. Alrighty, folks, welcome back in here. Boy, do we have a fun guest today. Uh, She's one of five play-by-play broadcasters in minor league baseball right now. Um, That is a female and She is pioneering this industry, has tremendous, tremendous talent in a very bright future. And it is such a pleasure to welcome on Emma Tiedemann to the podcast here today, along with Sam and Emma. uh, Just an honor to have you on. You are awesome. You bring some great energy to the calls and you're doing work with the Portland Sea Dogs now. Um, What's it like? Out in Portland, Maine, how is the weather out there? Is it too cold for you? 
It's actually a dream. You know, right now it is 63 degrees. It's been in the 70s all week. The leaves have changed. It's a fall wonderland outside. It's gorgeous. I went camping this weekend. The weather is perfect. I love the vibe of a fall wonderland. I think it's exactly 63 where I am in Chicago, too. And while we're on the subject of geography, Emma, gotta say, I'm a longtime Sea Dog supporter. My grandparents live about 30 minutes south of Portland. So I've been going to Sea Dogs games. And I'm curious, as someone who's now engrossed in the Portland community, have you ever been to that place, Duck Fat, and had those fries? Um, multiple times. Good. I've had the sandwiches, the fries, the <laughs> yeah. whole thing. Yes. The that duck was confit the sandwich. List. Yeah, that one. Oh, that was the first one I got. Yeah. Bingo. Delicious. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. We've had the same sandwich. We've eaten the same fries. We've been in the same ballpark. And we're just best friends. I, I love it. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> um, I I I've never been, never had the sandwich. What I'm jealous of is is the the incredible readiness to have a lobster roll. That is a delicacy where I am from. I don't get those very often. And a Sox fan on my own, uh, whenever I can go out to the East Coast, that's terrific. But having them in Maine, I think that that brings it to it to the next level. Like that's that's the that's the pinnacle of lobster roll eating. It is. I mean, you uh, one of the the places that's right on the water. They literally have uh, two captains, and they essentially bring the lobsters to the dock. And then, you know, you probably eat it the next day or, or that day even on your lobster roll. I mean, it literally is seed to your plate. It's, it's amazing. Again, it's a wonderland up here. What can I say? <laughs> what can you say? That is, that is unbelievable. Portland, Maine, uh, the AA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox, who, by the way, are not doing too bad right now. Um, it will get like into... a true Red Sox fan, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into the system, I think, a little bit, but... How about ALDS game four? I was on Twitter scrolling through and I said, of course, Emma's there. Um, what was the, what was the atmosphere like singing sweet Caroline, the seventh knowing that, Hey, the Sox can close this out. Well, I, I'll say that that was my first postseason game to attend in person. Obviously I've watched plenty, you know, from my couch or from the local uh, watering hole, but I have not seen a game in person. And so the I kind of took it all in obviously a little biased for the Red Sox because uh, we are in their system but I was taking it in as just a baseball fan I mean that place was absolutely electric I barely sat down the entire game um, we only really sat down in between innings and then all of a sudden everyone was up again and we were cheering and all that kind of stuff um, but it was absolutely incredible I mean I still have chills right now just thinking of it I mean it's the whole thing of Take me out to the, the ball game, Sweet Caroline, a walk-off win. I mean, then you have Danny Santana at third base who was with the Sea Dogs earlier this season, and everything comes full circle, and we're heading to the ALCS. So it was, it was really a dream of, the, of a night um, and really probably one of my favorite Mondays I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Do you find yourself sitting in the stands and thinking about how you would call a moment like that? Definitely. I, there was a couple times last night where – I found myself totally ignoring my fiance and, you know, may, checking out the shift and, and seeing how I would kind of call certain defensive alignments and stuff with some of the guys. Um, but so, it, you know, as a play-by-play -play broadcaster, it just never really shuts off. You're constantly doing it in your head. Um, but I was able to enjoy the game as a whole, though, uh, once everything kind of started really picking up, especially in the bottom of the ninth. 
Oh my god, the the vibe there of you on the couch with your fiance, like doing play by play. I love it. I love it. I've, I've been there, like sitting here, this couch that I'm pointing at with my girlfriend, like kind of either mumbling along or just having no shame and doing it. So Max, I'm sure, has done the same. I know this kid. So like, you know, the cloth, we cut from the same one. Yeah. Well, it's good to have someone who understands that. And my fiance, I'll hate to say, I hate to say it, but he is a diehard Yankees fan. Um, But he was, I know he was a good sport. He went to Fenway yesterday and did not cheer against or for the Red Sox. He was completely neutral the entire time. Um, But, you know, it's, it's great to have him to be able to completely be myself as a play-by-play broadcaster. And he still wants to marry me for some reason. So you just got to find that person. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I love that as a side note, like (laughs) I'd love, yeah, yeah, Max, he's great guy. Oh, and he wants to marry me. You know, that's a heck of a, a heck of a footnote. As, as long as as long as he's still in, despite the Red Sox fandom. I mean, I'm sure you haven't always been a Red Sox fan, though. Yeah, maybe because now you're in the system, but you must have grown up a Texas Ranger fan, the granddaughter of Bill Mercer, no? Oh, yes. And that's always my team. And we even talked about that last night. Like, you know, I, I love the Red Sox and I love being a part of their system. And I mean, it's one of the most storied franchises in the history of our sport. So um, I have a ton of respect for it, and I feel very fortunate to work within their system. But at the very depth of my soul, I will always be a Rangers fan, um, as much as it has been difficult to be one uh, for the past, you know, <laughs> ever. Um, you know, it's, it's still my, my team and, and the team that I always will root for. So what was that like? Growing up with him as an influence, Bill, obviously the first voice of the Rangers. Uh, I mean, some would say that you were almost born into it or I guess thrust into it at a very early age. When did you know that you wanted to do play by play? And who told you that this was the, the, the direction that you should go? Who reinforced that for you? Um, I mean, definitely my grandfather. Um, I will say he never really forced um, really any of his grandkids to to do it. Um, we do have videos of my oldest uh, cousin rehearsing uh, to the ends of the earth, multi-grain Cheerios plus commercials um, because she wanted to be on air and, and do that sort of thing. So he thought that, you know, he got one, he got one of us to be a broadcaster. Um, she was quickly turned off by it and she's now a nurse. But Um, I wanted to be a vet and loved animals growing up. And then it wasn't until high school that I realized I'm awful at math. I'm awful at science. Um, But I I love sports and they've always been a big part of my life. And so my grandfather, who would take me along with him to broadcast, you know, minor league baseball games um, with the Frisco Rough Riders, the Round Rock Express, um, took me to a, a division three women's basketball game and had an extra headset and put allowed me to talk for a game and I fell in love with it um I played basketball growing up that's still my favorite sport um and fell in love with it from the hop and just kind of kept pursuing it with his support every day and um just haven't really looked back that's really interesting to me Emma because I I mean we've all met a lot of people who do this right at all different levels and I've everyone's different but there are some people who are like oh I I was playing sport x I was really good at it I I was on the varsity team in high school I thought I was playing college and then 
it didn't really work out. So I picked up a mic, found out I liked it and was good at it. And here I am. And then there are, are there's more of the sense I'm getting from you. And I, I know for me, my personal story is more like, yeah, I started doing this at a really young age and I love it. And it's been my goal since I was really little to do this. Um, so for you, is, is that more the case? Like you really are living out this, this lifelong goal of yours. Yeah, I, I definitely would say the overarching goal for me was always broadcasting ever since I was, you know, 15. Um, and that kind of overarching goal has evolved and changed because initially I wanted to work for a network and broadcast year round. And then, you know, maybe I wanted to work for a university and do a couple different sports. And then now it's focusing heavily on baseball and, and major league baseball um, itself. So, yeah, I mean, we've even found home videos of me um, when I was five or six, taking around the family uh, video camera and doing play by play of what was going on in each room of the house. And so we look back and like, okay, we're putting things together. It makes sense now. Um, but yeah, I, you know, ever since I was 15, I always, you know, thought I was very lucky whenever we were all choosing our colleges, I knew exactly what I wanted and I, for a career path, so I could easily find my college and do exactly what I wanted to do there to take my next career step while all my friends were, you know, Wayne, well, did they want to be a doctor or an accountant? And I'm like, I'm going to be a broadcaster. So um, yeah, I was very, very fortunate because there's not a lot of people that know exactly what they want to do uh, at a very young age. You know, I, I think that your path has also been very interesting to me because this is, it, it, it actually is a template for a path that I myself would want to follow. So initially you start out doing Alaskan baseball. How do you make it out to an Alaskan baseball league? Uh, what did Mat, Matsu minors, where did you find the, uh, where did you find the opportunity? I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, just to say it nice. Yeah, so uh, that came from a long night of research um, one night in my apartment uh, in college. I knew that I wanted to kind of beef up my play-by-play -play resume, and baseball uh, was my weakest sport play-by-play -play wise. I just didn't have as many games under my belt as other uh, other sports and um, didn't quite know baseball as great as I knew basketball. And so I knew, you know, I heard of the, the summer collegiate leagues across the country with the Cape being obviously the most famous one probably, and so I just went on Google and I Googled summer collegiate leagues in the US. And at the time, Wikipedia had this master list. I'm sure it changed now with the one baseball thing with Major League Baseball, but um, master list of all the leagues in the country. Uh, and so I went through each one, went through each team, emailed every GM that I could find uh, my resume and tape. And I said, this is the deal. This is who I am. Um, and two got back to me. <laughs> um, and so one of them was in Medford, Oregon, and the other was in Palmer, Alaska. And after having the discussions with uh, the folks in Alaska, you know, they were going to fly me up there uh, and give me a car, the whole thing, let me travel with the team. And I was like thinking I am at the time I was 21, 2021. 20, it's like, when am I ever going to go to Alaska? Like, and it, to me too, it, it kind of could have been the jumping off point to a really cool career. Cause I was like, you know what? Like I'm from Texas. I want to go see different parts of the country. I want to go see Alaska. So I accepted the job and it was that summer um, that actually kind of changed my trajectory and made me want to focus on baseball. Um, and, and that's why I'm here today. And a few years later, you get your first number one gig with the Lexington Legends. And I think that for a lot of the broadcasters that are listening to this, the, those, those broadcasters still looking for that number one gig, 
what to you was the most integral in obtaining the voice that that the voice title um i mean so for me personally i i think that it was just the variety of different places i had been and the variety of experiences i had um and so it was because at minor league level whether it's affiliated or independent you are more than just the broadcaster you know you're typically media relations social media you're pulling tarp um, you're handling the player moves and, and uh, making sure that the game notes are done, the stat packs are printed. If your pitching coach wants a the catcher's ERA and during day games, you know you have to do that for them and have them and it, make an Excel spreadsheet and print it out for them. So there's so much more to the job. So you know from Alaska, I went to Oregon and then the St. Paul Saints, and I think that all of those culminated to make me a, a pretty ideal candidate. Um, you know, from my employer standpoint with the legends, I was told that I stood out because I had the saints on my resume. They were a reputable team. Um, even though they weren't affiliated, they were well known in the affiliate world because they blew everyone out of the water every year with their attendance numbers. And so they figured, Hey, you know, maybe we could shake it up with someone from indie ball. And so that helped me from that standpoint, from the hiring standpoint as well. Can we dive in? a little bit to your time with the saints because I know the guy you spent a lot of time with Sean Aronson very well. And Max is in our league now and I'm in the American association. So um, just the irreverent nature of the saints was so fun to me. Of course, there's like the headline of all the stuff they do between innings, but it's a very professionally run organization that to me, felt very major league in like every aspect. So just like a little glimpse, if you could, at your time in the Saints, but but through the lens of how that made you feel more legit as a broadcaster, because I'm sure it did. Yeah, I mean, first off, going into CHS Field and just having that ballpark, if that doesn't make you feel legitimate, I don't know what will, because that place is so perfectly built and you already feel, you know, even at the time it was – an independent stadium technically, but you felt like it was at least triple a status. Like you felt like you, you could hold your head up high and be like, you know what, this is, this is next level. Um, but my time with the saints, I mean, that was probably one of my favorite seasons I've ever had in baseball. Um, they have just the perfect mix of their, you know, mantra of fun is good, which they honestly, they take that in everyday situations. Like they, they really live true to the fun is good motto. Um, and they focus so much on the fan experience. So those two combined make for just the craziest and funnest and most unique game day experience that I've ever been able to see. And, you know, including traveling on the road with teams as well. Um, and it was really cool behind the scenes to see, you know, everyone's dressed professionally and, and ready to go. But, you know, we'll talk about promotions and, and come up with wacky ideas. And I think it's a testament to the staff a ton of creative people, including Sean Aronson, um, who come from different backgrounds and, and have different ideas and they all just feed off of one another. Um, and I think it also, you know, a bunch of them have been there for a number of years, including Sierra Bailey, who's their uh, director of marketing and promotions. And she kind of knows what's what and is always open to new ideas and everyone feels like they have a voice. Um, even, you know, from the GM down to the interns, um, they really do look to everyone as equals. Um, and so it's it's just a fantastic environment. Um, you know, every day I was excited to go to work because you never knew 
who you're going to run into at, at the Saints, whether it was Bill Murray or you're going to see the ball pig or anything like that, the usher trainers, what they were going to be up to that day. Um, so it was definitely a special time. And I learned so much from Sean um, being his number two. I mean, everything that I take took into this season as well. Um, Sean really prepares probably some of the best number ones um, in the country. And, you know, he's very proud to, to list us all off. And I'm definitely proud to be um, one of his former assistants. I'm curious about this too, Emma, you, you mentioned there at the end, like the things you learned. And I feel like a lot of us, when we talk about what we do, and really you could apply this to a lot of industries, people say like, Oh, I learned a lot of lessons and, and speak very generally. What is something though, like a little nugget, it could be a microscopic little thing, but what is something that you carried into this season uh, as you continue to develop from that early stage to these more middle stages of your career? Um, well, okay. So I'll give you two, two good nuggets from Even better. in particular. Yeah. So I'll give you one that's more broad um, is to never procrastinate. Um, he did a fantastic job of hammering home that, you know, every day a broadcaster has to do the same things. It's game notes, rosters, lineups, stat packs, distributing them, to the clubhouses, to the press box, and to the opposing broadcaster. Um, and once, however long that takes you, whether it's, you know, two hours, three hours, or four hours, uh, you always have to have that chunk of time to do those responsibilities. Because if you don't do them, nobody will do, nobody will do them, and they won't get done. And that is an awful look for your organization, and that should never happen. So whether it's coming in two hours early before everyone else, because it's a day game, and, you know, report time is at eight, but, you know, if you go at eight and you have your four hours of responsibilities, that'll set you up until noon. But first pitch is at one. If there's a tarp pool in there, that's unacceptable because you'll be pulled away and you have to help the team. So you come in early and you get your stuff done before people come into the office. So you're ready to help out when everyone arrives. Um, and that's something that I've carried from St. Paul to Lexington and to Portland as well. So uh, many times, you know, Sean and I would be the only ones in the office getting our stuff done. Uh, to be able to help the rest of the staff with whatever they needed, whether it was a tarp pool, getting group areas ready or anything like that. Uh, but from the broadcasting standpoint, one of the biggest things I took away from Sean was being a number one, you're the voice and it is your broadcast. People next to you come and go, but you're the voice of the team that hired you and the voice for your fan base. And so the mo one of the most important things that you can do as the number one is to research and always be prepared. Um, that's something also that my grandfather preached, but he, but Sean really kind of hammered it home with saying, you're always the one who's going to carry the broadcast. If you're interviewing somebody and it's kind of a flat interview, you always have to be prepared, whether it's with something on the field or with it's some, something to talk to the person next to you. Um, it all comes together and culminates each night with all the research and preparation that you do that all falls on the voice. Um, and so that's kind of what I took from, from Sean to Lexington and to Portland um, I haven't had a partner in three years, so it has literally just been me. Um, uh, but it, you know, just one of those things where it just hammers home the, the fact that you have to do so much just to be prepared for nine innings a night. That last point, and I, Max, I don't want to, you know, put you down there into not talking mode, but, but I, I got to hit this last one here. Emma, I love that. And that really crystallized for me most my summer in Cape Cod. Not I was like you, I was eating lobster rolls in that part of the country. And 
I got home one day, my partner and I, Sam Niederman, who was actually the first ever guest of this podcast. And we got home to our host dad, who was this phenomenal man, who I still love to this day, Michael Gross and and his uh, soon-to-be wife, actually, Barbara Turner. Uh, But they're wonderful. And we would come home every day and they would tell us what they thought of the game and, oh, you guys are great. But one day we came home and he was like, he was like, you guys suck today. Like it was, it was really weird. He was like, we didn't think you did a good job. And then he gave us this pep talk where he was like, you, our team was the Katuit Ketaliers. And he said, you need to be the Ketaliers, be the Ketaliers. And he said that phrase over and over. And throughout the rest of the summer, Sam and I would fire each other up before the game. <laughs> Sam, you got to be the Ketaliers, be the Ketaliers. And now before I go on air, I tell myself, dude, be the dogs. Like you are the voice, the team. That means your voice must be the team. So I know that's a random story and um, you don't care how great of a guy Michael is, but the point is you're being the sea dogs right now. Are you not? Exactly. And it, you know, it's all the preparation, everything too, but it's your energy also, you know, you might be at the end of a 13 game homestand and on like two hours of sleep, but if you're just mumbling along and everything, no, your fans don't deserve that. Your fans who tune into you every night to listen to the Sea Dogs and, and want to learn more about your organization, they deserve your best game. And you have to be on your A game every night. So, yeah, I love that. I love that you learned that, you know, it's summer collegiate. <laughs> That's awesome. Be the Cataliers. <laughs> And being the voice of a team, if you're going to be the Cataliers, you're going to be the dogs or the sea dogs, frankly, it's not just when you're on air. It is when you're preparing for a game and when you're walking through the stadium and interacting with fans. But these are long seasons. I mean, this was my first professional baseball season. A hundred games is exhausting. And Emma, now you've been doing it for a few years. You've been going through the motions, doing full seasons of work as, as the Lexington legends, as the, you know, being the sea dogs, how do you finish that marathon strong and not get tired toward the end of a very long season in the Atlantic league in double a affiliated baseball? How do you just continue to find energy every day when it's tedious and it it seems like you're doing the same thing over and over again on a 14 game homestand. I, so maybe it's because I'm still young and early in my career, but honestly, it, the fact that baseball is so different every day, granted you can go through a stretch and see two errors a night and it could be some of the worst defense you've ever seen in your life. But you know, there's, it's baseball. It's the greatest game there is. I mean, look at the postseason. You know, look at the Dodgers and the Giants last night. And, and you know, Max Scherzer giving up one run. It was a one-run g- game, a one-nothing, and the Giants win. Like, what is that? You know, it's baseball. It's beautiful. And so I think that a lot of that keeps me going day to day. I mean, I'll hit a wall occasionally. But, again, this goes back to Sean Aronson. Um, he will push you. And he tells you when he interviews you and he hires you that he will push you to your limit and then push you past it. And then if you can survive that, then you can go through anything and baseball. And so, you know, I think that I got a lot stronger my year with the Saints, um, not to say I wasn't already, um, but it was cool to see my personal growth that year, just kind of open up my mind to say, okay, yeah, this is, I can rock this. This is great. Um, you know, and I think that 
it's the game of baseball. It's the pride of working for the Sea Dogs and being able to walk around a concourse with the Sea Dogs logo on my polo and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I earned this spot, you know, and I love what I do. I love the organization I, I represent. Um, but that's not to say that there's not hard stretches um, and, and tough days too. I mean, I try and, you know, if I do kind of hit a wall, try and take an hour to myself uh, and not look at Twitter, not look at any social media, um, whether it's go out on the trails or just kind of zone out for a little, for a little while, um, watch something on Netflix, just kind of get my mind right and give my, you know, my mind a little bit of a break, but then go right through it and, and push on through to hopefully playoffs and championships. One of my favorite things to talk about is the mental health side of the broadcasting business, because that's something that Sam is really in tune with as well. And for you, you get hired with the Sea Dogs and then boom, COVID hits almost immediately for you and your mental health is saying, hey, is this the industry for me? Second guessing. I mean, it must have been a grueling, grueling year one. Uh, How do you deal with with something of that nature how do you deal with that mental health side of it that that is like hey you know I finally get this big break of mine and now I I'm I'm sitting on the sidelines with a torn ACL basically yeah I so my first day with the Sea Dogs we were actually sent home um, to work from home uh, for what we thought was going to be a week with COVID but then turned out to be three months and I had to meet my coworkers for roughly five minutes, collect my new laptop and, you know, kind of meet people and then go back to my apartment, which had an air mattress and boxes. My TV was on the floor, had nothing. Um, I, that was tough. That was, that was the first time that the mental health thing kind of, I allowed myself to, you know, kind of say, Oh, Emma, you're kind of getting down kind of thing. Um, because it was hard not to, you know, Maine on top of everything shut down, um, hard and fast. I mean, we couldn't do anything indoors. Um, it was tough to get to know a new city. Um, and I was alone. My uh, now fiance was still in Kentucky with my dog. Um, and I didn't know anyone in the Northeast. Like I, my sister was in Brooklyn. Like that was the closest family I had. So um, it was tough, but I have to, to credit the Sea Dogs. Um, you know, they were one of the only organizations in the country that kept all of the uh, front office staff on full-time with full salary and health benefits, which is incredible for a pandemic. Um, And then on top of that, paid their game day staff, what they would have earned um, if they had worked in 2020. So I have to give a lot of credit to the Sea Dogs because that could have been much worse. You know, I've, when we were sent home that day, I was fully expecting to be called into our president's office and be like, all right, we're, you know, we don't know if we're going to have a season, uh, we're going to kind of let you go and then maybe bring you back once we have more clarity, but they kept me on and uh, you know, it turned out to, to work in the end, but um, I kind of did what I do in every new city. I went out for a run and kind of got lost in Portland and, and found new places that I would mentally take notes of be like, you know, when the world opens back up, I want to eat there and I want to drink a beer on that patio and, you know, different things like that, where I just kind of kept focusing on the future and, and telling myself, you know, I made it to double a, I made it into the Red Sox system. We will eventually get out of this pandemic, which we are still in, in 2021. But, we'll, you know, things will get back to normal. We will have baseball again because the world needs baseball. The world needs sports. I love that vibe of, like, running around and finding places to go post-pandemic. <laughs> I, I, I got the same way of, of learning a new city. It's just, like, sprinting around it to cover <laughs> cover as much ground as possible. Um and I'm really glad Max brought up mental health and 
the mental side of broadcasting. And it's so interesting to you that you're, or to me that your first day was, was this first day of a moment when of course the headline of the whole pandemic was the physical health side of it. I mean, that's literally what it was, but I think it gave our, our world a little bit of a men- <clears throat> Woo, how about that voice crack? Uh, a little bit of a, of a mental reckoning, right? And I got way more in tune with my mental health. And I, it's really important as a broadcaster to stay locked in. And I, I think it's advantageous to treat our jobs like we're athletes because we're on it. I mean, we are performing for three hours a night. You got to be locked in. You can't slip away. Like you were saying, Emma, just mumble away or doing a disservice to your fans. So uh, how do you, in the course of a season, when you, you do love it, but it is hard work, how do you stay mentally healthy to the best of your ability, whatever that means to you? Um, you know, I think that this year was a little bit different for me. Um, I was focusing more on, you know, not going to Duncan every day, um, you know, trying to have a, a decent diet because as much as I hate to admit, admit it, my metabolism has decided to slow down as of late. So I can't chug coffee and have all those nice, you know, bagels and all that kind of stuff as I used to in the early parts of my career and not have any repercussions to my physical um, appearance. So I, this season I was trying to focus more on, on whole foods and, you know, kind of take it a, a book out of the athletes, you know, approach to it all, trying to have clean eating, you know, and, and kind of treat their bodies a lot better and, and focus on sleep. Um, you know, had some free time in the pandemic, followed some TikTok fitness accounts and they were all like, oh, sleep is good for you. And I was like, what's that? We're broadcasters. <laughs> um, so I think I was focusing a little bit on, on making sure I got at least six hours, um, six to eight hours a night and, and kind of just getting in tune with my body a little bit more um, than I have in years past, because, you know, it, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint, um, not only the season, but a baseball career. Um, you know, you, you see, hear about guys in the major leagues and they've been there for decades. Um, and so, you know, I, I might be in minor league baseball for 10 or 20 more years before a spot finally opens up for me at major league at the major league level. And when I get to the major league level, I plan on being there for decades. So, you know, I want to have everything right and healthy. And, uh, you know, for this season, it, it really did seem to pay off. Um, you know, I hit the last game of the, of the season, um, with my normal sadness and everything, but, always wishing that I could have, you know, 60 more games, um, I'm ready to go. And so I, I think that that worked for me this year. So, um, trying to continue and, and keep into those good habits in the off season and then ready to go in April. Look good, feel good, play good. And, and it's exactly. true for an athlete. It's true for us. I found a lot of the similar things. It's like, you, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can't sleep, right? Sometimes yeah. game ends, you got to take the bus from 11 PM to 6 AM and there's no sleep to be had and you make the best of it, but then you compensate by trying to have more relaxing day and eating healthy and hydrating, which for us broadcasters is very important. So I love that message, Emma, of, you know, what you put in is what you get out and you plan on doing this for a darn long time. You don't want to run out of steam. So uh, I, I a lot of respect for that energy that you bring to it. Thanks. I hope it pays off. You know, we'll, we'll maybe talk in five years and, and we'll see if I'm still doing it. <laughs> I, well, hopefully no doubt. I, you, you know, I look at, I look at the industry and it is on pace with 
you doing it for a long, long time. Broadcasters like Melanie Newman and Beth Moens are just as prominent now as ever before. And that's, you know, the next thing that I'd really like to address, um, the challenges of being a female in this industry. First things first, traveling with a baseball team that is generally, I would assume, a, a fairly large male party. Um, and the difficulties that arise with being on the bus, getting a hotel room, any of that kind of stuff, going from city to city, where typically, hey, I may be sharing a room with one of the ball players, Sam maybe with one of the trainers, but with you, I really don't know how it goes. Traveling with the team uh, is actually, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I started on my first bus trip in Alaska, just sitting in the front of the bus, um, just easy as that. Um, and then, it, you know, it, it's been really simple. Um, I, this first, or this season with the Sea Dogs, though, was a little bit different. Um, I missed the first two or three road trips due to COVID um, and, and COVID restrictions. So I, and this year, I mean, obviously it was different altogether. So um, I had really not known the players. We couldn't get on the field. We couldn't go in the clubhouse. Um, so one day I just showed up for the bus um, to Binghamton and, um, you know, got to meet everybody on the bus for the first time and, and kind of get more ingrained with the team there. And, um, you know, it, it was pretty simple. Um, it's pretty straightforward. I have my own room. Um, it's a nice little oasis, uh, you know, in whatever city we're in. Um, but it's actually not that big of a deal. Um, it's probably one of the, the easiest parts of being a female in, in baseball. I haven't had any issues with it. So you say that that's the easiest part. What would you say is the hardest part? Um, the most difficult thing that I came across, uh, was breaking into minor league baseball. Um, that was like, I think that maybe I was naive with thinking that, you know, we were more open to having, uh, a different person in the broadcast booth by the time that I was, um, wrapping up my second year in Oregon. Um, but I had some, some very interesting interviews, um, you know, and interviews that I thought were interviews, but actually, you know, we sat down for, for a chat and the, uh, the broadcaster, this was for a number two, uh, position, by the way, it's like, uh, you know, I'm really sorry to do this, but my big league club, um, won't have a female broadcaster. So I can't actually, uh, interview you or hire you, but I can critique your tape. And he opens the, uh, my his laptop and critiques my tape while I'm sitting there like, what is going on? Um, and <laughs> so that was pretty surreal. Um, had another interview that was kind of similar to that. Got some really weird vibes um, from that as well. And, and it was just kind of, kind of odd. You know, I, I thought that I had a really good resume. I was fun and personable and I wanted to work in minor league baseball for peanuts on the dollar and work long hours. And, you know, I, I was thought that I was ready for it. Um, but you know, I guess baseball wasn't ready for it at that point. You know, those negative experiences, I'm sure that they're, you know, more than you can, you can even remember, but I'd like to focus on the positive. Ideally, I mean, who has been a, a positive figure in your development in minor league baseball and as a broadcaster in general, maybe other than Sean, somebody else who has mentored you and you look up to them. Um, Eric Nadell, the voice of the Texas Rangers. Uh, he, was obviously a voice that I listened to growing up. Um, but actually he reached out to me when I was in Oregon, he saw my name in, a, in an article in the Dallas morning news. Um, I think with my grandfather or something, he looked me up on the, the team's website and sent me an email. And I, I still remember where I was standing when I got his email, like it was that big of a deal to me. Um, and 
you know, we've known each other now for years. He's helped me out with, you know, a vocal coach and, and has given me feedback on some of the calls um, that I've put on Twitter and then has connected me with Susan Waldman, who is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, you know, she's just a text message away. She's so supportive um, and, and has been phenomenal too. So, you know, there were those negatives, but, you know, I eventually got into baseball courtesy of the Saints, got into minor league baseball with Lexington, and, and it's really been fine ever since those initial job interviews. So it was just the, the trying to break in. Um, and then, you know, now I have a name for myself as much as I kind of hate to admit it. Um, but, you know, I've, I've built up something and, you know, I've only gone up. What's the number one thing you learned from your vocal coach? Ooh, um, how to keep my vocal cords loose, if that makes sense. Um, at the time, I was going through some basketball and, and my, my voice was getting tired because of the intensity of basketball for the entire, you know, hour and a half or however long it, it would be versus, you know, in baseball with the three hours, your voice can kind of settle and, you're, and it can kind of catch back up. But my voice kept getting really tired. Um, so she gave me a trick uh, with putting just a water bottle and then a straw in it. And just kind of blowing bubbles, opening up your jaw, which then opens up your throat and kind of relaxes things. So a little tidbit. Has that ever been a, a hurdle for you? Uh, you know, you, you are a very, very good broadcaster. And I, like, I'm, I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast and yeah, I want you to like me. But like, you know, I, I mean, I've listened to your stuff. You're, you're clearly good at what you do. You clearly are focused on it and, and are very, very good. Uh, but sort of hearkening back to uh, what the unfortunate gentleman told you, like, oh, they're not going to hire a female. Like, that's something I see on Twitter sometimes. You'll have someone who's great at what she does, like uh, Beth Moens calling a football game. And half the Twitter, it's like, oh, what's this woman doing calling this game? Like, I don't like the sound of her voice. And I'm like, come on. She is really good at what she does. I mean, so that's frustrating to me as a man, I can imagine uh, what that makes you feel like. So, so I don't really know what the question is here, honestly, Emma, but just, uh, I, I guess, how frustrating is that? Or has that been a hurdle? Wh wherever direction you want to take it? Um, I mean, I've seen it. I, I followed Beth uh, from, you know, really my college days, I think is when I really started, you know, Twitter is great for this, because I was able to, you know, follow these people and these voices that I'd heard on TV. So, um, I had seen the comments, um, I mean, even a, two weeks ago with Melanie and Jessica Mendoza. I mean, come on, like they were great. And I had hurdles behind the scenes that no, none of us saw with, you know, calling the games remotely, which should be outlawed, by the way. Um, and and yeah. it's stuff like that, where it's just like, you know, give these people a break and give them a chance. And I, I think that, you know, for 99% of the different type of voice you're going to hear in the booth, you give them 10 seconds and 10 seconds of having an open mind, you're going to realize that they are there for a reason is because they have earned that position and they know what they're talking about. I think those people on Twitter, it's Twitter, it's social media, you know, you can get away with saying a lot of stuff that you would never say to that person's face. Um, so I think it gives people a, a platform to speak a little bit more freely. Um, but no, I, you know, I'm lucky I haven't really come across that um, too much. You know, I just tell people, give me, give me a minute, give me a half inning, whatever you want, um, but at least give me a chance before you're going to write me off. Don't write me off because of my gender. Write me off because I, I suck. You know, something, give me something, you know, constructive. Be like, oh, well, actually that fastball was not a fastball. It was a slider. You're dumb. Great. Thank you. I will work on that next time. You know, 
telling me that I suck because I'm a female. That's not, I can't change that. You can't work on that. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, here's the thing at the end of the day, what do you want out of your, the voice of your team? You want someone who knows the team, who represents the team well, who brings you energy, excitement, and who's focused and who takes the job seriously. Well, you check all the damn boxes. So like, I mean, at that point, you're right. It's just Twitter being Twitter and people being assholes. Um, ooh, that's the first time I've ever had a swear on this podcast. A swear on a podcast. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Assholes. Uh, People can be those. People can also be great. And I know you've had a lot of that uh, in your career, but uh, it's an important thing to address and you know, I, I, I don't want to have you on and just talk about you being a female, but because you are a trailblazer, uh, it, it's important to talk about. But you are, are also just a person who's a baseball fan who's very good at what you do. And I think that's the headline. Yeah. And I, I cannot wait until the day where there is no headline. You know, I just get to go to work and put on a headset and call a game and then I go home and then I get to do it again the next day. And I, you know, for six months after that, and then I have the off season, you know, I, I was completely overwhelmed in Lexington um, with the amount of coverage of, Oh, we've got a female and that sort of thing. Uh, I was doing uh, the B I did the BBC. I mean, what? And, and, you know, some media outlets in Canada, like that was just nuts. Um, And I was just a single a broadcaster for the Royals. Like, you know, it's not a major market team. So, um, I can't wait until there's no headlines and I can just quietly go to the ballpark and and do my job and then that's it. Emma, I, I loved what you said when you were you were talking about how you think you've made a name for yourself. And I love that. I love when you look at a, a Draymond Green type of guy who says, you don't win a championship without thinking you're the bee's knees, you know? So making a name for yourself in this industry is really tough, not just to do it, but then to find a balance and not get an inflated head. How do you find that balance of saying, hey, well, I've started to become a well-known figure in this industry, but still stay humble, stay calm, and maybe stay, stay, you know, still be DC dogs while you're being Emma, Emma Tiedemann as well, like without, you know, getting too far ahead into what the future may look like? Um, I think that, you know, for me personally, I've always been a pretty authentic person. You know, I, I didn't really fit in, in in junior high or high school. I, you know, was, I knew what I wanted to do. I was from a different family background than a lot of the people uh, that I was going to school with and it had some different things to deal with. And so I was just kind of me and, and I've, I kind of learned from there that you can like me, you can hate me, but I'm just going to be me. And so I think that that kind of, maybe it is too confident or too cocky or whatever. um, But I think that that little bit of confidence has helped me into this industry, which, you know, y'all know, I mean, it's so competitive and it's so easy to get down on yourself. If you miss out on, on, you know, one job, two jobs, three jobs in a row, and then you're told that you can't do something because of your gender, uh, you kind of have to have a little chip on your shoulder to go the distance I think in this industry um you know I I honestly I hate tweeting I hate uh you know putting myself out there like that even last night and my tweet about Fenway and and 
uh, the seventh inning stretch. I literally had my fiance look at my uh, tweet before I sent it. I was like, is that okay? You know, I, it's, I just hate it. I just hate social media. And it's, a, I'm usually three days behind everything because I have to overthink my response or my like tweet. Like it's, it's not, it's not good. But then I'm surrounded by the people who do hype me up and, and, you know, tell me, oh, okay, well, you know, I think you need to go for the job in Lexington. You know, I, my fiance is so supportive and saying, you know, you know, I, I talk about, uh, you know, different paths of my career and that kind of stuff. And he's right there to say, oh, well, your next job is going to be major league. So we have to think about that next step. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just got to double A, but just to have someone in my corner that kind of continues to push me and, and say, you know, you need to do these things to put your name out there. It's, it's great. It's a, it's a good balance. How funny is it that you talk about overthinking your tweets, but broadcasting and play-by-play in general, it's an, an art of not thinking, just saying and doing. Do you ever start to overthink during a broadcast on, hey, I have to make this call this. I have to say this during this opportunity. No, actually. <laughs> I, I mean, I do whenever... Sorry, the animals are now awake. Um, <laughs> um, I do whenever I'm working on, on a specific thing, um, whether it's changing up vocabulary vocabulary for like a line drive or, or different things like that, I'll be more cognizant of what I'm saying. Um, but honestly, when I put the headset on, you know, it's just me, the audience that I can't see, luckily, and, you know, the game ahead of me. Um, so it's just kind of my little world. And I absolutely love being able to, kind of be the author of the painting that you have to, to paint in front of you and the picture that you have to describe for the people who are listening. Um, and I, you know, I, anytime that I do get down or, or a little bit self-conscious or nervous, um, which typically happens a lot early on in the season because you're kind of rusty and especially your first game with the Sea Dogs and, and you know, with an organization like the Red Sox, um, I was definitely nervous, but, you know, I was able to kind of think back and be like, no, you know, I earned this spot. I kept my head held high, um, you know, and, and maybe did a little bit of the grades anatomy, you know, the Superman pose or Superwoman pose um, to help with the confidence. But, you know, it goes back to the chip on your shoulder. You kind of have to have a little bit there to, to kind of power through some of those broadcasts. Give me an idea, Emma, of uh, really give the people an idea of what makes you you on air you know we talk about you being authentic and and you being good at what you do but there are a lot of ways to be good at what you do so you know what do you get from an Emma Tiedemann broadcast um well I mean I'm I'm kind of old school uh you know that's kind of how my grandfather taught me and everything and that's who I listened to growing up um like I read uh Red Barber's book every every spring training and stuff so um you'll get play by play. I mean, I do not miss a pitch. I do not miss any action in the field. Um, I, I love radio for that. I have really no interest of ever doing TV. I love radio. And so you will get every single pitch. You'll get a pitch location. If it's fouled off, you'll know exactly where it's going. If it hits or if it's close to hitting Slugger the Sea Dog, you'll know exactly where Slugger is. If he's on top of the dugout, um, you'll get the whole picture. Um, and you'll also get a lot of background too. I mean, I do a ton of research on the players. I had my own little anecdotes. And if I do mess up, which nobody's perfect, I laugh at myself and I'll point it out. You know, it's, you'll get a very human broadcast from me. 
um, human yet still professional um, and, and something that you'll hopefully walk away learning something new about the players that you didn't know about, maybe something about the Sea Dogs or Hadlock Field or wherever the heck we are playing at that night. Um, you know, it's, it's just all encompassing, um, but it's, I really focus on the play by play and, and make sure I paint that full picture. You do the job, right? I mean, I mean, you, you do the job to the full extent of the job. And, and of course there are a lot of ways to do it. There are a lot of people I listen to who do miss a pitch sometimes and, and that's fine. That's a different style, uh, but you do that style. I love the, the red barber. I know he, he's an inspiration uh, of yours as well. Which Red Barber book do you read every spring training? I feel like I got to read it. Yeah, it's called The Broadcasters. That one, okay, yep. Yep, and the the last chapter is actually, if you just, if I mean, the whole book is fantastic from a historical standpoint, but it's the last chapter on his preparation. Um, a little bit old school, maybe some might say outdated, um, but that's where I pull like kind of the meat of it all uh, is that last chapter. For the people what's the what's the vibe of the last chapter um just kind of his day-to-day -day routine uh, a little bit similar to Vin Scully uh you know grabbing a paper uh reading it cover to cover and and you know making sure that you know more than just the sports page you know you want to know what's going on in the world at the same time um and then you know talking to the players and, and keeping that rapport up um and different things like that but I'll let you, the people read the rest of the chapter. I don't want to give all of his secrets away. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> uh, when you are looking, I, and I, I have no idea if or when you are ever hiring a number two, but what are the qualities that you really like when you're in search of a number two, knowing that, hey, you were a number two for Sean. Sean has done, you know, great work in developing some of the best number ones in the country, right? We were just talking about this earlier in the show. For you, what is the what is the ideal number two have in common with what Sean was looking for? Ooh, this is a good question because um, I'm still putting that all together. Um, so ideally for me, someone who's driven and kind of has a general idea of what they want to be doing in the next three to five years. Um, you know, I think I would be a little bit biased towards people who want to stay in minor league baseball um, because a lot of broadcasters will look to minor league baseball as, as a really great place to grow play, play which is great. Um, but I think for me, I'm looking for somebody who wants to stay in baseball and have that as their primary sport. Um, just because I know that I can, you know, working with the sea dogs and hopefully learning from, from me. And this is, I sound awful, but hopefully learning in a position with me, you know, you're, it sets you up for a number one position, much like Sean's position as an assistant did um, for myself and many others. So um, I would ideally be looking for someone who wants to stay in baseball long-term um, that I think would have to be out of college just because of our seasons, little um, things like that. But someone who's not afraid to move to Portland, Maine, if they're not local and, and just kind of hit the ground running. Um, you know, that's, it's not a ton to ask from a person, um, but it's, it's a lot of work. And, and I think an ideal person has to love the sport, um, but also has to know that they have a lot to learn as well. Um, and just be open-minded and, and ready to call a lot of baseball. Yeah, emphasis on the last part. <laughs> Ready to call a lot of baseball. Uh, and, and I love the vibe, too, of you want someone who wants to be in baseball. 
because this is a baseball job and not everyone wants to be in baseball. Some people just see it as the stepping stone to something else. And you, no one wants their stone to be stepped on, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, you want your stone to be valuable n- enough to pick up and carry with you uh, for the rest of your career. I'm surprised how well that metaphor ended up turning out from where it began. Uh, Emma, (laughs) um, can you please tell the people, we're telling a lot to the people, if they want to find more Emma, where they can listen to you and and find more Emma? Um, I mean, you can find Sea Dogs broadcast on SeaDogs.com or you can find them on WPEI around Portland or actually Maine, all, um, all up and down the coast. Um, and then you can follow me on social media. Um, of course, everything's two to three days late because I'm overthinking all my tweets and Instagram posts. Um, but it's one handle on both accounts. It's Emma Teeds, T-I-E-D-S. A quality follow. No doubt about <laughs> it. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Um, Emma, it has been awesome having you on. And before I let you go, I think when I think about athletes, when I think about a ball player who's improving on his swing. It doesn't happen during the season. It happens during the off season. You're able to analyze a little bit more and work at it every day. I think it's very similar with broadcasters for you. What have you noticed from this last season of work with the sea dogs that you want to improve on during the off season heading into 2022? Oh, that list is long. Um, I, I want to grow my pre and post game shows quite a bit. Um, a lot of that has to do with access to the players, which will get better, um, in 2022, but, um, growing the pre and post game shows, um, I want to dive a little bit more in depth with the opposing teams, um, and make sure that the broadcast, obviously it's sea dogs leaning, um, but not completely biased towards Portland. Um, I think I did a decent job of showing both sides, but I think it could do a little bit better. Um, and, uh, I think the second to the last game of the season, I haven't listened back quite yet to that one. Um, but I think I had a, a home run call that I liked. So maybe I have a signature home run call for next year. Um, I blacked out during it. I don't know what I said, but I was told it was good. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, you know, the off season is when you have the most growth. So I'll be listening back to tapes. Um, as much as I hate it, that is the best way to grow as a broadcaster. Even though I'm cursing myself, you had one cuss word earlier. I have 15 to 20 per broadcast being like, Emma, oh my God, oh my God, what are you saying? Um, but it's so great of listening back and knowing exactly what you want to work on. So those are the bullet points so far, uh, but the list is long. I mean, you always have to be pushing yourself to do better. Those are great bullets. I'm eager to see what the home run call is. Will you let us know? When yeah, you find uh, once I find out what it is, I'll yeah. let y'all know. <laughs> you break the news to yourself first, then tell us, then the world. Perfect. Uh, I think that might be our time. Emma, you have been an awesome, awesome guest and uh, thrilled for the opportunity to speak with you. I can't wait to see what you do in this industry because you have a very long and very prosperous and very exciting future in front of you. And when your fiance said that you're going to the major leagues next, well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't be surprised. I can't wait for it. It's going to be an awesome, awesome career to follow Emma Tiedemann and uh, Emma can't wait for next season with the Portland Sea Dogs. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks so much for having me. Go have a duck coffee sandwich for us. Thanks, Emma. (laughs) We'll do. (laughs) All righty, folks. Next up to the mic, it's Emma Tiedemann. 
Back here in our two-state, two-time-zone virtual studio, Max Kelton and Sam Brief with you. What a great, awesome, enriching, like fulfilling conversation with Emma Tiedemann really strikes me as one of those conversations, Max, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong. One of those situations where talking to someone actually fills you with energy and joy and like that that made me want to go call a baseball game. And I'm sad that I'm not calling a baseball game till next May. That is totally, totally the feel. She is a fun listen, whether you're just talking on the phone or on the Zoom or whether you're listening to a Portland Sea Dogs game. And recently you saw somebody like Kate Scott get hired with the Philadelphia 76ers. And there's so much talk about Kate being hired. Folks, let me tell you, I will be the first to tell you, Emma Tiedemann is is the next on that trajectory. She has such a bright future in front of her. And uh, I was I was honored. I was honored to have her on. This was a really fun one. Yeah, I, I was, too. I mean, she had some great thoughts. I, I took a lot from her mental health part of it. I'm really glad you brought that up, Max, like how she takes care of her body to take care of her spirit, which takes care of her mind, which takes care of her broadcasting. Like that was a cool trajectory to see for her. So I'm hopeful to stay in touch with her. And I hope that a lot of our podcast listeners will soon become broadcast listeners. And as we transition out of the interview with Emma into just wrapping things up here on our end, talking about being broadcast listeners, I know I'm going to be a broadcast listener for you, my friend, because I don't think we've addressed officially on the podcast that you are the new voice of the Gauchos. You see Santa Barbara mm-hmm. men's and women's basketball. It's unbelievable because you went there, you're like already in love with and loved by those programs, and now you're doing the darn thing. So I'm proud of you, my friend, and excited for folks to listen to you. Sometimes you get one of those situations that just feels right. Yeah. And this for me just felt right. I actually, I, uh, I got a call when I was in Kane County for, you know, one of the last series of the season asking if I was interested in doing, doing the play by play for, for the basketball, both of the basketball teams on ESPN, which is a, a, a really big step for me because I had, I had done a couple of TV games for basketball in the past and the last game where we had fans in the Thunderdome and where UC Santa Barbara plays, I did that game and I called a buzzer beater and I, and then COVID hit. So we just didn't have the opportunity after that. Um, I am honored and humbled. And this is just such, such a, an exciting, exciting opportunity for me to go back to a place where I feel so comfortable. And, uh, and now I'm able to do this. And frankly, it's not just, basketball which I initially is what I thought but I've been able to do volleyball too which is the way you described it we were talking this week such a high octane sport and that fits my personality really well so you know working with people who are so good at what they do in terms of the knowledge of these sports as analysts uh, it has been just awesome to be back on the west coast a place that I feel very comfortable I'm from around here, a Red Sox fan, but from around here and being back with my mom has been really fun too. So it's been great. You're like me. You love your mom. And I also live really close to my mom. So it's nice for me, but really Max, I'm super proud of you. And I think those you're, you're really awesome at baseball, but those fast paced sports are like 
what suit you even more just in my mind like as just that pure broadcasting like you're so high energy that I love listening to you and I've heard some of your basketball highlights from right when I was starting to meet you over the phone this past summer but like that suits you really well you're you're unreal at baseball but like basketball I'm just like oh yeah feed me it's funny because Emma was talking about the uh, the ideal number two for the Portland Sea Dogs. I don't think that would be me because she's looking for somebody who really wants to stay in minor league baseball. And I love baseball as a sport. I grew up playing it and, and really kind of tinkering away at, at just becoming an expert at the sport. But while I love baseball, I think that my personality has always been better suited for different sports. And I, the big reason why I tried to do baseball off the bat, because I knew I needed to improve at it. Frankly, you heard me at my best. I have not really been that good at baseball in the past. So that's something that I really had to work on. Um, I know we're this zoom, the time limit is wrapping up so quickly. If you want to get into things that you did well and things that you didn't do well, as we're both doing volleyball this week, kick us off. I think that something I did well was the communication with my partner. Uh, I know you and I are in similar positions with working with someone who is totally kick-ass volleyball star, knows the sport inside and out, but new to broadcasting. And I, I was proud of the way I ushered her into it, taught her a thing or two, and then leaned on her volleyball expertise. Uh, something I really want to improve on is punching big moments. Uh, in a sport like volleyball, sometimes it can be hard to delineate exactly what the right moments to turn it up another notch. And, and I want to make sure I am punching those right moments. That's my next frontier to climb. I think those are great. I think those are great. And finding that that punch, making sure it's not fake energy, but the authenticity a sport like volleyball where you have bang, 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 a, a great play every single time. It feels like it, right? It feels like there's always a, a fun play. Um, so having that energy is, I, I think that's what makes the broadcast fun. And you talk about who these broadcasts are even for, right? You're doing Chicago State Volleyball right now, which is just terrific because the voice of the Cougars is my voice for for my favorite university in Chicago. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sure that's the same case for all of the athletes who are playing that volleyball and, and their families, right? That's who are listening to the games. I think somebody, it might've been you who said this to me. Somebody told me that, Hey, unless you are a huge volleyball fan that is just scrolling through and you happen to come to a UCSB game on ESPN, you're not watching other, it, uh, unless you really love a player who is playing in the games. So what I, what you were talking about, that energy during those games, the people who are listening, your fans, the, the, the audience, and, and you got to know your audience, your audience, those are the people who really care. And if you're bringing that energy, if you're bridging the gap between your atmosphere at the stadium and the, the viewer at home, I think that that is so crucial in a proper broadcast. Yeah. If you're not like, if, if someone's grandma is watching and her granddaughter makes an excellent cross court kill and you don't give that play a good little punch, 
and that grandma might be like, oh, why, why was it so low energy? You know, you're, yeah, not every play is like the game-winning kill of the national championship, but some of our teams aren't going to make the national championship, you know? And it's like <laughs> only one team gets that, right? And And I'm not going to lose my shit over every play and like go to a 10, but I want to give every play what it deserves. And I, I want to make sure I'm doing that. Oh, you bet. You bet. Yeah. You know, that was something that I think I did well this week. Um, but really what, what did I, what do I need to improve on? I think for a sport like volleyball that I haven't done since 2019 and generally have only done on the radio, um, switching to TV is difficult because I think instead of the, the pacing, which I'm always focusing on in my cadence, that's something that is really important to me during my broadcast for this. I need a better vocabulary. And you actually, we were texting earlier. I'm this email week. You. Yes. Yes. I thank you. I need it. Yes. I don't I want to cut better. you off, but I, I do have a list that I, uh, I need it. You know, I, when I was doing basketball, when I was first getting into it, in our student radio sports office, we had sheet after sheet after sheet after sheet posted on the wall of how many different ways you can say a pass, you know, fired it into the corner, skips it, whatever it is, right? There were so many different ways. And I realized for volleyball in the midst of the broadcast that I just didn't have as many different ways to say, you know, here's the set, right? The delivery, however you want to say it, I needed more. So that's something that I really had to work on this week and um, finding those lists online. I just wasn't as prepared in terms of my vocabulary as I would have liked. So that's something that I'm, I'm really focused on in terms of things that I, Wait, can I, I did can I well. Can I cut you off real quick? I, yes. I bring something up that was sort of like a counterpoint almost to that. Uh, that I experienced very recently, but I was talking to someone who's a major league broadcaster and whose opinions I take very seriously. Uh, and and uh, obviously it goes with the territory. And I, I said something similar to what you're saying in like vocab. And he was just like, well, what did you see? And I, I was like, oh, he... I don't remember what the word was. Let's say I said he crushed it. He's like, okay, then he crushed it. <laughs> you know, it's like, what did you see? Oh, she slammed it down. Well, then she slammed it down. You know, there's something to be said for like using your eyes and trusting yourself because if you're reading off a list, you're not being fully authentic maybe to what happened. You might be making something up to sound fancy. I don't know. Uh, and I'm not accusing you of doing that. It's just the generic <laughs> you. But like... I think there's something to be said for like trusting the creativity you've got and being like, maybe you see the way her arm cocks back and she kicks that, or, you know, you know, she just thunders the ball down, you know, or she floats it over, like say what you see and maybe you say it with more conviction as a result. Food for thought. Well, I think that, I think that that's a great way to think about it. And we're always so worried about, doing the broadcast right that I, at least I am, that I, I sometimes forget that there is no right way to do it. You know, you just, you do it and you bring energy and you, you know, 
it, it's all about just just bridging the authenticity of the game to to the viewer at home. So, you know, that's something that maybe I, I don't say, you know, have have as wide of a vocabulary, but I'm describing it. I can say that much. You know, I'm describing it. Uh, one thing that I think I did well and, uh, you know, making the transition from baseball to volleyball to basketball will be I'm sure there's going to be more of hey I need to improve at this I struggled last year being comfortable right off the bat on an ESPN broadcast I did it was one of my first if not my first ESPN broadcast so naturally I was anxious and I think that somebody heard it um one of the former ESPN producers that was listening to that, that works with us, heard it and said, what you were saying sounds right. You are saying the right things and you bring energy just like you've been here before. And coming back to UCSB, I think that was the easiest thing for me to act like I've been at this school before. I've been in that chair doing that game a million times. So for me, adjusting on the fly was really big and I had a new analyst that I had not worked with before. I hadn't done volleyball on TV, I think ever, but I was confident and I, 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 I acted like I had been there before. And I think it reflected well in the broadcast. So for me, that was my positive this week. I love that. that, that that's a great place for us to finish. It's like, if you've been there before, act like it. Yeah, that's how it should be. And, I mean that's that's how ball players do it, right? Yeah. You hit a home run, flip your deck you like you've done it a million times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome show. Awesome. Hey, this show was today. a great a episode. This was a great episode. So uh, Max, you, you wanna put the bow on this one? Sure thing. Sure thing. A huge thank you to Emma Tiedemann for joining us. Sam Brief, you are awesome. Much love to you. By the way, folks. Since we just talked about UCSB and Chicago State, if you're tuning in to college basketball, that's NCAA Division I basketball on ESPN Plus this year, Chicago State comes to town on November 20th, and we will have the call for you. Um, can't wait to show you the best nachos in town. Best nachos? I, you just remember, I can't eat the cheese. Yep. <laughs> we will. Hey, we they're going to look at me like I have three heads. Hi, can I have your nachos <laughs> without the cheese? <laughs> we'll make accommodations for Sam Brief, no doubt about it. But a pleasure as always. That's all we have for you today, but not for the future. We have so much, so much, so much more in store. And I think this is going to become a little bit more of a regular thing now that we aren't working every day during baseball season. So, for Sam Brief, I am Max Kelton, and boy, is it a pleasure. Next up to the mic, a good friend of the pod, Emma Tiedemann.